and welcome to yet another edition of Comfortably Unnumb, the official podcast of the Umbrella Society. My name is Blake Anderson, the program's manager here at the Umbrella Society and also the host of this program, coming to you today from beautiful Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. So, this is in fact the last podcast of the season, episode 10, and what a successful first season we've had. Uh, quite honestly, I've been really surprised by the amount of people who have reached out to tell me how much they've enjoyed listening. Um, I thought that these podcasts might just sit on our website and not get a ton of people listening. Um, but I think the compelling nature of the stories of our guests um, have really inspired people to listen consistently. Uh, it is really something special to hear recoveries through so many different lenses and environments and perspectives. Uh, seeing how many different ways our guests have sought out and found recovery just demonstrates our belief that recovery is not a one-size-fits-all model and that an individualized approach is what's needed when tackling this complex issue. Uh, but the common theme in all of these stories um, is hard work, commitment, and a reckoning of sorts with oneself to make the changes necessary to beat addiction and to find long-term recovery. So our last podcast of the season features one of the members of our recovery campaign, which we will be promoting heavily in September. Uh, we want to spread the word of recovery throughout our community and do our part to end the stigma surrounding addiction and substance use. We want everyone to know as well that recovery is possible and we want to keep hope going for individuals and their loved ones who are struggling out there right now. So I'm really happy to bring on the program today a bright, a hilarious and incredibly spirited uh, woman named Megan. So Megan has well over a decade of uh, time in recovery. Um, she has a bright career in finance and she's a committed mom and partner. Um, and Megan just holds herself with confidence. Uh, her strong character is evident the moment you see her. But Megan's story tells of someone whose identity and confidence slowly faded through years of toxic environments and substance misuse. Her story is one of resiliency and personal accountability as she worked to shed a belief system that kept her in her addiction. So just a quick caution that Megan's interview does contain plenty of expletives. Um, I would never edit or bleep any of this out as I feel this captures the authenticity of the conversation and captures Megan in a natural way that is comfortable to her. Uh, I hope it doesn't offend anybody. Okay, Megan, thank you so much for coming in and taking the time to uh, chat with us today. Um, as I was mentioning, you are a member of our new recovery campaign coming up here yes. and, um, uh, also 16 years in recovery or 15, 16 years in recovery. That's yes. coming on 16, coming, November one, coming on 16 years. Like that's absolutely incredible. Um, this is also our season finale. So the pressure is on Megan. I, is I perform better <laughs> under pressure. Perfect. I think. Okay. <laughs> this is great. Um, no, I think this is a, you know, really great way to, to, to finish off this, you know, that you're you know, mother of, of, of two children and, and you know, um, have a, a story that, you know, is, is not familiar to the Umbrella family as much. So I'm really happy to, um, you know, yeah, have you come in and, and talk about your story a little bit. Cool. Um, obviously, 16 years, that's, you know, takes a lot of hard work and effort to kind of get to this point. Um, I always like to dig back a little bit and and talk about what what got you into recovery and and what life you know looked like and it's up to you on how, how back you want to you want to dive but you know where would you say your recovery journey started for you uh you know what I don't it's hard to like pinpoint per se I think early in recovery you sort of 
fumble around trying to find like that moment when I was defined as a drug addict or this one thing that took place in my life that led me to a life of addiction and 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 you know what I'm probably I mean it's not uncommon but I I there's not one thing it wasn't anything specific I came like I grew up I have my parents who are still together to this day I've got a brother and a sister and I was we were I was born in Ontario, but then I grew up in Calgary, Alberta. Yeehaw! Mm. And uh, like totally normal, uh, middle class upper family with you know sports in my life. I excelled in school. I I enjoyed excelling in school. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I was younger too, I used to enjoy like creative writing and and all kinds of you know normal right. kid boring activities um, that I also hope that my children participate in now (laughs) because I can tell you being an addict and now being a parent uh, with children is like such a different angle on the whole addiction thing absolutely but I'll get there later sure Uh, yeah so I grew up normal Uh, and like it's also you know like even looking because being in recovery has given me the opportunity to work with all kinds of different like people, especially a lot of young women. And like looking at, you know, like young women in high school or younger nowadays, you know, it's like, it's just, it's terrifying as well mm-hmm. as a lot of it's the same, you know, like I, like the experimenting and whatnot. Right. It, it was like a natural thing. I don't know. And I feel like it's still a natural thing, right? right? Like you're Can't, like, there, there is that right whatever of passage, age it right, is, yeah. right? You're like, oh, let's steal some liquor from our parents and give this a go, right? And it started right. with smoking. And even at that point, like looking back as someone with sort of knowledge on addiction, I wouldn't say like there was like a spark the minute I had a cigarette, right? right? It was just like kids being kids and having fun right so mm-hmm. like from a young age I'd say probably around like grade seven was when I started experimenting with substances which I, again I think is a pretty standard timeline right. um and drinking you know and whatnot and like that's in Calgary that's junior high so it's grade seven eight nine and it was all about mostly I think normal teenage adolescent growing up you know right. like I ent- identified with my peer group a lot it's more part of the than, social process totally. in, in a sense yeah totally so but I think, you know, uh, the, the things that I noticed after working on myself in recovery for a long time are the ways that I made decisions and the impact that they had on me that I was totally, like, oblivious to. You know, like, right. so some of the things like stealing from my parents right. on, like, at a young age, which, again, I'm sure a lot of people do, but I don't think I was prepared for the way that I would feel internally and, like, how to manage that. Okay. Right? Like, the guilt and shame that right. came from a young age and doing that kind of stuff because right like from grade seven grade eight you know we were we were definitely smoking weed and drinking every weekend right like you get an allowance back then which is crazy because now thinking about inflation sorry i'm in finance but right (laughs) you know i'm like five bucks used to get me like a a 40 ounce of beer and like half a pack of smokes right and we were having your allowance went a long way yeah yeah. and we were like partying in the bush the whole time and it was great right and uh yeah, like, so junior high was just that. That's what it was. And I wouldn't say that anything significantly changed uh, other than, like, when I went to high school, all of a sudden you don't have to go anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. And no one's, like, monitoring that much of your attendance, or at least they weren't that big on it when I went to high school. So uh, when I started 
high school in grade 10, uh, a, a lot of my friends were a lot older. Like I was always friends with significantly older people. Right. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, that's just sort of how it went. And so like by grade 10, I had a girlfriend who was a year, two years ahead of me. <clears throat> and like in Calgary, uh, 18 gets you into a nightclub, right? Right. So I was, they used to also have like, Sort of like it was like a nightclub hybrid, which now thinking back, like why the fuck anybody would do that? Uh, <laughs> right, like you could get Recipe like for a disaster, right? right? Yeah. So like right, right from grade ten, grade ten onwards, like mm-hmm. school wasn't a priority. I was attending to go to pass, and luckily I was always smart enough to know like I could write right. an exam, get seventy plus on it easy without you could kind any, of phone it in without any effort, right? Yeah. So, right. so like your, your attention could be put elsewhere. Totally, and yeah. it was one hundred percent. It was like go to school to be stoned and hang out, and then plan for the weekend or the weeknight. So right. like very quickly, I had a fake ID, and I was in nightclubs like pff, four nights a week, if not more. Right. Like right at grade 10, 11, 12, uh, which now as a parent and like an adult looking at a 16 year old, I'm like, who right. the fuck was letting me in a bar right. at that age? Right. Like even when I was older living in Calgary, I would see these 16 year olds and I'm like, are you for real? Like, right. look yeah. at this person is clearly not of age. Right. You feel so old when you're 16. You look now, it's like, holy man. Oh, and I thought I was pulling <laughs> right. it off too, Absolutely. right? Like yeah. we all were. And so, you know, and my parents, I think... You know, because people always ask, especially when they find out that I'm an addict in long-term recovery. They're like, well, what were, what, what were your parents doing? What, what did they think? And you know what? It wasn't, I think, A, they are like children of the 70s. There's just, they just assumed it was a natural transition that a lot of kids go through as far as like having a good time. That you'd work, work it out of your system, right? essentially. Exactly. Right. And I think they also said like, look at the grades, you know, like this isn't right. a hot mess yet. So whatever right. kind of thing, right? So let her navigate her own exactly. waters, essentially. And uh and so I did that, right? And I mean, if you were to look, like, you know, those drug info commercials where they have, like, the the history of, like, if you look at my report cards, it's, it's quite interesting because I went from being, like, an 80-plus student through junior high and then it's, like, steadily declining to, right. like, and especially, like, internally, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. 60 is good enough. Right. You know, like, so your standard yes. for yourself was kind yes. of dropping to a point where... Yeah, and that yeah. sort of goes with like the, the accumulation, whether I was conscious of it, of like guilt and shame, right? Because I didn't... Like I had aspirations like all kids do to do mm-hmm. things. What, I, what that was, I don't know. And I think, you know, growing up and being young, that's sort of like the pressure that people put on you. And, you know, as a parent now in recovery, I make a point of asking like my kids... Uh, what's one thing you want to do when you grow up? Because sure. I feel like the question of like, what do you want to be when you grow up is so, or it was for me anyway, so ominous and full of right. pressure and like decisions and choices. And yeah. like now coming yeah. out the other side, I was like, no one fucking knows what they want to do when they grow up. Right. And you're going to do yeah. all kinds of fucking things. Absolutely. So why are we asking you to do one thing and right. putting that pressure on you? As what are some kid? things that you're interested in? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, and guess what? You're right. probably going to have 17 jobs <laughs> and that's totally fine. So I think that was like, so high school ended. And well, actually before that, raving became popular so i went right from the nightclubs into the rave scene and like at that point i was hanging out with people that were pushing like explicit narcotics that i had was super unfamiliar with like i remember and i i really liked the money to be honest, like I liked being able to go out with these, you know, guys that had shit tons of money and could buy all the drinks and right. provide all the things and had fancy cars and all kinds of, you know, like I liked that attention. Why? Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
And like we would go and sit in their apartments because they had their own places. They were a little bit older at the time. And I would be packing like bags of cocaine and crack. And I didn't even know at the time what it was. Right. And I was oblivious to it. You know, you'd open up a a drawer and there'd be $40,000 in cash sitting there. And I was like, just... You know, right. I don't know, normal to me, right. which is so right. abnormal now looking back. You did not have the perspective to no, realize. No, not at all. And like, <laughs> I had no clue if they got yeah. fucking raided, I'm going to jail. And I'm like, just, you know, this white suburban child that's like, cool, you're going to buy me some nice clothes and let's right. go get drunk and have a great time. This seems great. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then, then um, raving became popular. And so then quickly I started using MDMA or ecstasy, which was still, you know what? It was a good time. But like, how. You know, and even, you know, my mom tried because uh, like I would we would go out Saturday. The rave wouldn't even start till like 11. So we're at the bar all night and then go to the rave high as kites until the wee hours of the morning. And, you know, I would come home and Sunday morning at like, I don't know, eight, nine, ten in the morning. And like I'm still up and I'm feeling like garbage. And my dad is like sitting in the living room reading his paper and having a coffee like a normal fucking human Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I am not a normal human and I'm like he's like good morning and I am like good night and I would sleep till like 8 p.m and then stuff my face and like I just you know I don't know my mom had some questions you know about like how we managed to dance that long and I'm like oh we're just really drunk you know and I I think they just gave me the benefit of the doubt looking back uh and so raving bars Graduated high school and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to go do more school. So it was just a natural transition for me to go into the service industry. And so I waitressed for a long time and it just got me deeper into like the social scene and the bar scene and everything else. And then it was at that point in time that I picked up cocaine for my first time. And it's so funny to look back, uh, when I think about like when we started using blow and like my group of friends and like, we would split like one like bag of it between like right. six of us, you right. know, and it was like a good time. And it was started it, off soft and kind totally. of totally. Yeah, yeah, and you know unassuming. what? Uh, there's a lot of people who just like do that for their right. like life, uh, or not even for like a few a period of time in their life. Yeah. And then they're like, you know what? We're not going to be cocaine users anymore. And then, like, I have friends that are just mm-hmm. like they went through that, but that wasn't me, right. you know. And it and it happened sort of quickly yet slowly where I quickly became unable to drink without using cocaine and then it's an expensive habit and you know it was like an every night thing like basically every time I was going out I was picking up low and being high how old were you at this point would you say (sighs) like 21 21 okay yeah so like most of my 20s are really really blurry as far as like it's just you know the same fucking night on repeat i ended up having like through the the restaurant staff you meet a bunch of people who sit at bars all the time and so like there's in calgary there's a lot of people working in the oil patch so again right the money there's the occupational hazards come yeah on both where sides. they hey, would go work for two yeah. weeks and then right, come, come home back. and party hardy for two weeks right. and then like at one point there was a uh, one of the guys like owned a house and so he had lot of the guys like alternating so like me and some of my girlfriends we were fucking there the whole time to party right. <laughs> and like one of these guys are at least going to work two weeks on right. You're, week you're, right. I'm like next shift let's go right. you know and days blur into night and it's like you know like fuck the and in my head still like a lot of it was fun 
except for like night after night after night or morning after morning after morning I would sit there and be like fuck like you know I've done something stupid I've missed my work shift I can't go to work because I'm sketchy you know I spent my money that I was supposed to have for rent or I had this event for my family that I was supposed to like just right. all they're of starting that. to get some gaps and yeah, some all deficiencies of, well, all kind of that for the rest of it just builds right. up right where yeah. I'm like and then especially the drugs like no matter what, when you're coming down off it, you feel like a shitty fucking person, right? right? So I'm like laying in bed in the morning, trying to sleep, thinking about like how much of a fucking useless idiot I am right. over and over. Right. And like I did it's that. A for, bad cycle, right. I did yeah. that for a long, a long, 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 long time, you know, and I would wake up and be like, okay, I'm not going to pick up today. Like I'm going to go out and have a couple drinks, be a normal human, come home and like couldn't do it. Couldn't right. do it no matter what. Right. And so there was one day... And it wasn't like anything different, you know, like we would always end up, I would work and then I would get high and then I'd go to some house or some bar and then back to some house and smoke a thousand cigarettes and play a bunch of cards and talk about bullshit we were never going to do, right. you know, and then the next morning would come and it was like the same day on repeat over right. and over. And, uh, I don't know why, but one morning, uh, I was trying to sleep and my parents both worked like full time. So I... You know, I was still living at home at this point hmm. and I came home and I just felt like like shit and I called a bunch of friends nobody answered their phone and then finally I don't know what it was but I decided to call my mom and she was working um at a medical clinic downtown in Calgary and uh I'm sure she could hear in my voice like something was up right. and I was like mom I just like I need you to come home and she was like like what's going on and I was like I just need you to come home and and then like she drove from downtown Calgary and you know, it's funny. It's been so many years and I still cry at like mm -hmm. certain points of this. Cause especially now thinking about being a parent and my right. daughter calling me and telling me that like whatever. So she comes home and fuck, like, I don't know if you're listening to this and you're a drug addict, you fall asleep and you're like all of a sudden a new person. So I like actually fell asleep while she was coming home. And right. then I was like, holy fuck, my mom is what coming home. What have I done? Home. Right, yeah. I've right. got to like, right. what Backpedal. am I going to do here? Yeah. What yeah. am I going to do here? Am I going to fucking actually unleash this right. on her? And so she came in my room and she was like, what's going on? And then like, I had to look her in the eye and I was like, mom, like I'm a, I'm a fucking drug addict. And I don't think she understood what that meant. And like, she was like, what do you mean? Like, what do you, what do you mean? What are you using? And I was like, I have a problem with cocaine and mm. I need some help, you know? And like, it was fucking horrible. Cause it's like, I don't know. I don't, I didn't. And I still don't a lot enjoy being vulnerable to that point. Right. And I didn't want to be a fucking drug addict, you know? Right. And like, I guess I'd been sort of pulling it off where right. my mom was like, what? <laughs> okay. You know? Right. Yeah. And yeah. she had no idea. They had no experience with cocaine abuse or where to go. Did you talk to anybody else like within your social circle? Like, oh man, I think I have a problem. Or was this the first time no, that you this really, is, this yeah. was it. It was just right. Yeah. I, you know what? We always sort of joked around. We all had fucking coke problems, right? Like right. everybody had a problem. And right. it was one of those things that you would like joke about. Right. You know, but it wasn't I, something that, that no. you were addressing in any kind no. of capacity. No. So this was the first time I'd like, like opened like and I think because a lot of it was me sitting with myself and my thoughts and I and I could never sleep so I would just sit and try to sleep and think over and over and over again I have actually like journals full of writing from that right. like time in my life where it was dark and shit and uh and I think that's what like accumulated is just like all of the self-hate and self-doubt of like what I was doing with my life I couldn't take right. it anymore 
So I told my mom and then I said, I do not want you to tell my dad. <laughs> and she said, well, we're going to have to tell your father. I was like, fuck. Uh, just because it was like, I wanted to like hide from that feeling. Right. Like, yeah. You know, like I didn't. You're tearing off the bandaid oh, and exposing yeah, yourself. Yeah. yeah and it yeah, was like a, a lot at the time. Feeling. Right. Yeah. And so they didn't know what to do. And we like, and you know what was funny is that really like I wanted to tell somebody, but also it was like I was supposed to work later that day and I just really didn't want to fucking work. And I was like, I don't know, maybe I'll go to rehab and that's how it was going in my head. Right. <laughs> like maybe okay. I'm going to go sleep somewhere and then people leave me alone for a bit and I don't right. have adult life responsibilities. Uh, so we did try to find treatment centers, but I, you know, <laughs> didn't realize you had to like wait to get into treatment centers right. and they're like other places and that like I would have to live with my parents in the duration until I got somewhere and it was like, right. this well, fuck, gap. this is heavy yeah. all of a sudden. Right. <laughs> you know, right. now yeah. I'm like, now I've told them, cat's out of the bag. Yeah. Uh, so they ended up though, we, uh, my mom took me to detox because uh, that you could get into right away. Right. And so, like, Calgary detox is no fucking joke. I mean, what detox is a joke. But, like, I, my mom drove me to this detox place. And I remember there was a, a another set of parents there with a son. Must have been around my age. And they left. <laughs> and I was like, oh, weird. And then uh, my mom went in and checked me in. And I was, like, I was, like, okay, whatever. I'm just going to wait until I get actually, like, taken in this place. Like, a hospital-type setting. Right. And, uh... My mom went back into the car and she didn't realize that, but I came out to have a cigarette and like, I could see her in the car, like crying her eyes out. Right. And like, I don't even know that she knows that I saw her, like even to this day. Um, but it was just like, fuck, you know, it was like another fuck. Yeah. And I can't even describe it. I swear a lot, right. but like, it's the only way I can describe that feeling of like, fuck me. Like, <laughs> Right. perfect I'm just such a fucking winner um so I I was in the detox I think it was supposed to be five days okay but like let's be real detoxing off cocaine like I just need to fucking sleep and eat some food and shit yeah um and it was like a lot of the people in there like this was my first introductory to anything recovery related or anything right. drug addiction related so I've got like street using junkies like they put me in a room where I'm supposed to like detox detox for the first 24 hours and then there's another woman who came in that's like a street loving, like street level using junkie that was pregnant. Yeah. And I was like, holy fuck. Like, this is not like, I am not these people yet, right? right? And then I'm in a room, you know, and I think there might have been meetings. I don't know. But like most of the people are like, oh, you know, what are you in here for? And I'm like, right, what do you mean? What am I in here for? <laughs> Fucking coke. And they're like, how are you using it? I'm like, I didn't know that you could use it other ways. Right. <laughs> I'm sticking it up my nose right now. And, uh, like it was a lot uh, to take in right. and I think it almost had the opposite effect on me as far as I was like, well, fuck me. <laughs> like right. I'm not that fucked up. You, right. Okay. So it created <laughs> almost like a separation yeah. between like, oh, Like well. these people are seriously fucked up and right. they were like telling me too. They're like, make sure you don't use it in these ways because you're going to get more fucked up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, definitely noted. I right. will not, you know? And so I was supposed to be there five days, but I... I was only there three. I called my mom. I was like, you need to come pick me up. Because I was like the person who came. I had a fucking bag. I had pink fluffy slippers that I came right. packed to detox. Right. You know? Okay. Like right. I was like, right. and then there's people stealing my socks and shit and peanut yeah. butter. And it was just, it was weird. Right. So and my parents. This, yeah. A shock to the system. Totally. And my parents yeah. were totally those parents that were like, yeah, okay, we'll come get you. You know, like they, I, they just always gave me the benefit of the doubt. So they came to get me and there was like a, a discharge plan 
and I think they had, you know, similar government-run meetings uh, <laughs> that, like, go on in here or in anywhere. And I was supposed to attend once a week, um, Wednesday nights. And I think I went to, like, four of the, like, I don't know, many that I was supposed to do. And then it was just the same thing, right? Mm. You know, hanging around the same people using the same thing. And I did try to not use, but it lasted fucking, like, no time. Right. So then... I'm living at home with my family and they are now aware. Very aware of what, right. Aware yeah. of things. Right. Not to the point where they were really like, you know, I don't think they had drug testing at this time or they wouldn't have known to do that, but it was but like. they were asking different questions. Well, I just can't pull right. it off as well. I got to yeah. be sneakier. So I continued on and then I quickly decided like, fuck, something's got to change here because I can't pull this off and live at home. So I had a girlfriend who lived in Vancouver Island and mm-hmm. <laughs> she came to open a restaurant in Nanaimo at the time. And I was like, Hey, what are you doing? I got a fucking drug problem. Can I come live with you? <laughs> and, and she was like, uh, okay. <laughs> so I like bundled it up that I was like, Oh, I'm going to go live with my friend in Vancouver Island. You know, like you're 20 something, let's go exploring. And right. so I and did. There's that change of scenery that a lot exactly. of times, right? And oh, in if my I head, get out totally. of this scenario, I was like, oh, then, it'll be exactly. Right, leave New my problems city. behind. Yeah, exactly. And the minute right. I got there, within the first two days, I had borrowed my girlfriend's car and ended up meeting some drug dealer and drove with him to the casino in Victoria to do a deal, and then like left her car randomly for two days. <laughs> right. So it was like Not within. A good start. Yeah. It was within like hours. <laughs> right. And Nanaimo just progressed because uh, I was unaware of what was in Nanaimo. And I would say, like, maybe not as much now. But at that time, like, you know, Hell's Angels were rampant. I was working at a strip club uh, because it was easy money. I was not stripping, but it would only have been a matter of time. And so it was just like, you know, there was people around me using meth and, like, different things. And I would constantly be like, well, fuck, at least I ain't the meth addict. As I'm sitting there at 4, 5, 6 a.m., Right. You know, right. ripping rails beside right. this person. So you could something. still create this yeah. division essentially between yeah. your issues totally. and everybody else's. Well, and I was working yeah. at a restaurant that like I would consider is like a good restaurant. So like your average person wouldn't have looked at me and been like, you have a major problem, right? Like right. I would go work at the fancy right. restaurant and then go meet my friends that were skeezy downtown later on, you know, and like party right. all night. So you could just fly under the radar. Totally. Right. And like, so... I don't know. I lost a few jobs in Nanaimo that comes with the territory of being a drug addict. I'm not the best employee hmm. because I often don't want to be there. Right. <laughs> so it like uh, at some point I was like, you know what? Maybe if I do something with my daytime hours, I'll change. And these were like the ways that I tackled drug addiction on my own. It was, right. I would come up with these fucking genius plans right. and genius plan and, number and, one was move and it right. failed. So genius and I'm going to do this on my own. Exactly. <laughs> right. I can sort this out. Genius yeah. plan number two was maybe if I do something during the day, like normal people do, then I won't, you know, partake. So I was like, fuck it all. Let's, let's go to school. And I was like, well, okay, well, what kind of school do I want to do? And I was like, well, I don't really want to do like real life school. So <laughs> I went to hair school, okay. <laughs> uh, which I enjoyed. Um, yeah. And it was funny because like, during hair school, you they they only allowed you to miss ten days or you wouldn't pass. And like in drug addict math, that's like a very few amount of days. So I would often party and then like be up still and be like, fuck on a scale of one to ten, like how bad do I feel right now? <laughs> and then like pull it off. Right. But at that hair school, there was a woman there. And she's super pivotal to my like recovery journey because she was God, she must have been forty something. Because uh, it's all different ages in hair school and whatnot, mm-hmm. and uh, we would be talking about going out to drinks and stuff and like or what whatnot, and she didn't drink, 
And she also was going to AA meetings. Like they mm. had them on campus at Malspina, which is VIU at the time, at yeah. lunchtime. And I don't, I was like, what? <laughs> like you don't drink at all? And mm. she's like, no. And I haven't for a long time. And like she wasn't like pushy right. at all. But like. She was okay uh, to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't even, she, I don't even know how much I asked her. It was just like the first time that I was like, what? You know, because she, I liked her as a person. We were right. very similar, which, <laughs> shocking. <Right. laughs> but I was like, what? You don't drink ever? No. And you haven't for a long time. And where are you going? You're going to a what? A meeting? Weird. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and, and so, like, she was one of the first people I saw living a life of recovery that sort right. of was, like, attractive to right. me. Or just at least made it, like, this a is thing. an appealing person that well, is doing it. Well, it's a possibility. Right. Yeah. Like, people, I, I, and, like. Because I had never even met anybody that fucking lived life that way. Like, right. what? <laughs> right. What? That's an yeah, option. It just happened. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, fast forward to hair school. There was also a moment in time when one of my hair teachers sat me down and she's like, I think you have a problem with alcohol. <laughs> huh. Like in her office, closed door and shit. And I was like, <gasps> and I brushed it off. And I'm in my head, I'm like, little do you know, it's fucking far beyond alcohol. <laughs> right. But I graduated and then... Uh, it was the same. It was just the same shit mess and I needed to leave Nanaimo. And uh, I moved to Victoria because I, I ended up actually doing like a competition in Vancouver for haircutting and, and got third place and met somebody who ran a salon in Victoria and he said if I got a trophy, I'd get a job. And so uh, oh, wow. I always liked Victoria. We'd come yeah. up here to drink and whatnot. Uh, so I moved here and quickly within moving here, I was working at yet another strip club and... Just the same shit, different pal. And I had a friend who moved here from Calgary that like has known me since I was like 13. And she'd often come meet me after getting off of the salon at like 3 p.m. or whatever. And I'd be like, hey, we just got to make a stop quick. And she's like, it's it's 3 p.m. I was like, I don't fucking care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't care. And she'd often see me high because a lot of the like drugs I was doing were like cheap and gross. And so I would look like sketchy, you know, like some of my mannerisms and like some of the things that you see uh I guess like people doing on Pandora or like you know as far as like ticks and whatnot uh I would you start uh, right doing that kind of stuff and it's, it's not like, something that, that happens overnight no, right it's something no. that's right yeah yeah and she'd be like you are fucked up and I was like if this is a problem for you then you should just fucking mosey along because I'm gonna get high <laughs> right. you know and that's You're sort of the this, tunnel vision yeah, yeah that's that the point. state I was in right and I mean, even in then it was still like I thought I was pulling it off and having fun and whatnot but um I was walking down Government Street one day and uh, going into the bar where I was supposed to work that night. And like, I don't know, it's, it was just, it was a, just in a constant accumulation of like shitty events. You know, my parents would come out from Calgary to spend the weekend and it was like those kind of things without fail. I would have to go out and get more fucked up just to trash. So like I remember we went over to Salt Spring with my parents one day and I had gone out like and not slept. So I spent like the visit sleeping in the rental car in the parking lot. Like while my parents flew from fucking Calgary to see their child and I'm just like such a fucking waste case unit that I'm like, I'm just going to sleep in the car, have a good vacation. Thanks for coming to see me. Right. You know, and like internally, I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't do it anymore. And so I was walking to work down government street and it was like, I'm fucking done. I'm done. I'm done. And I didn't know what that looked like. I had no fucking concept of anything. <clears throat> uh, but I walked into the bar and I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to work tonight. 
and I'm gonna go get fucked up and then I don't know what I'm gonna do and it and so I I did I quit (laughs) and I went and got fucked up and then in the morning I don't this part's blurry understandably slow Mm -hmm. but I'm pretty sure like I called my mom and they thought I sort of had it together, I guess. And I was right. like, nope, still a drug not, addict. Right. Been a drug addict on the island. The, the three days that detoxed days, into yeah. the drug. I've been, I've been a drug right. addict on the island the whole time, probably yeah. like, because I think it was like four or five years from Nanaimo to Victoria. Okay. And I was like, yep, still fucked up. And they were in Calgary though. So like now I'm on my own. Right. And this was back, I think they still had phone books. <laughs> And so it was like 2007. I was like, I don't know, look up drug addict in the phone book. Hmm. And uh, somehow came across whatever the Quadra Clinic is and their services, right? And uh, ended up, you know, blurry. How the fuck I ended up down there physically, like all of it, you know? Uh, But I walked in there and actually Charlene (laughs) was working the front desk there. there. But even more importantly, and they give you a counselor and they got me in this daily intensive program and that was all fine and dandy. And it's funny because there's so many people like that I met that had long-term recovery mm. at that point in time that were counseling or running that, like right. that I know very, very well now. Right. Um, and some people who cleaned up with me that are still clean or, or you know, from those little groups right back from day one. But more importantly, there was a fucking NA meeting and the noon meeting was in that building. Right. And it was life-changing for me. Right. And like... Walking in that room, there was, you know, like there was young people, which <laughs> it was so important to me, right? Because I, I literally had no fucking concept that people could not hate themselves on a day-to-day fucking basis and live right. life in recovery. And so like there happened to be a group of young people. And at the time, it was like a young person's meeting, not the new meeting, but they also ran it. So they were all everywhere, right? right? Like people yeah. my age. And there was a girl that I thought was really pretty, right. uh, which mattered to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, it wasn't like, you know, I'm a fucking middle class cokehead, you know, right. like I'm not, it wouldn't have been a matter of time, but I'm not using on the street. I'm not fucking homeless. Not, I don't have an point. abuse story. I'm right. just like a person, right. right? And so like to see her, and I think she had like 60 days at the time, right. you know? And like, I was like, what? Like, I can't even stay fucking sober right. on a Monday, right. let alone 60 fucking days. Right. And I don't know what it was that was different, but it like, they sold me, right? And they invited me that weekend, actually. Um, out to dinner and I was like fuck how many strangers have I gone out to dinner with like I'm Mm. like worst case scenario I'll just go out and get drunk right and so like I sat there and there was a group of like 15 people we went to Ferris's and had dinner and then CCNA which was the Canadian Convention of Narcotics Anonymous happened to be also that weekend uh, at the Delta so we went out to dinner and it was like I liked these people. They were funny, you know, yeah. like they obviously had something in common. Like I could tell that they knew how to have a good time, right. but they were also weren't doing it fucked up. Right. Right. And then the convention was that weekend, which I don't think was happen chance for me because mm-hmm. it was like, okay, Megan, because in my head, you know, I was like, oh, well, fucking drug addict, you know, like everybody has these pictures of what a drug addict looks like and right. what a person in fucking AA looks like and blah, blah, blah. So they were like, it was like, God was like, okay, you want to see what fucking recovery can look like? Here's everybody in Canada or right. people from all over the world. This huge cross section. Yeah. You want to see the, like right. a fucking 65 year old lawyer with yeah. like 45 years clean? Here you right. go. You know? And so like when I got, the de- when the demographic is so sprawling, yeah. right? So it's, I got it's to eye-opening. meet all of these people at the convention of Canada. And I was like, holy shit. Like, and again, I was like, what, what, how have I missed all this? Right. Uh, 
And so I think it was just, I don't know, the, the, the time was lined up for me to open the door and then finally be like, listen, let's fucking do this. Right. Uh, cause I never wanted to stop drinking and you know what? There's days that I still want to fucking drink socially like a normal person. Mm. Uh, but that wasn't like something I wanted to do. Uh, but I realized it was something I was going to have to do, uh, after trial and error on my own right. for fucking many, many years. Uh, so that was like my intro to recovery. I dove into the NA community. I did all of the things they suggested. I got a badass sponsor. Like at the time, her and her husband were like, he still serves on the world board of NA. Okay. Like they were like, and I picked her too because she was not fucking around. Right. Um, and I had like my mom where I could be like, oh yeah, totally fine. You know, in my life the whole time. Right. And so, this person's going to cut yeah, right through Yeah, like that. I picked her because yeah. I knew she was going to like gonna ride accountable. me. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and I did all the things, right? Like I, I always had a home group. I did service and for a long time too. And I really, really liked it, right? Like it happened for me quickly. I didn't need to experiment. I was, once I realized that this is just not going to fucking work for me ever mm -hmm. and that there's a different way to live, everything got way better real quick. So right. I was sold right away, right? Right. And like throughout my journey in recovery, there's been all kinds of like things, you know, people die and, and like people use maybe successfully and like, you know, different things happen while exploring my life in NA. Like I talk, uh, I did a lot of PR and like share at treatment centers and this kind of stuff often. So I talk about like early on in recovery, how awkward it was, like, cause I, we'd go out to dinner and like, I didn't know how to sit at a table without like a fucking drink in my hand right. <laughs> you right. know like it's like it's like weird yeah. to be somewhat of an adult and be like fuck right. i don't know how to do me right without being fucked up yeah you know how so can like i'd be comfortable in my own skin right so the first few years of recovery and like working through steps and being around other people in early recovery we're just figuring that out like right. what does it look like to live what the fuck do people do that don't you know plan their lives around getting loaded on the regular right. and experimenting with that. And luckily I found a group of people who did that. One of them ended up being my husband, okay. <laughs> you know, like right. he was, yeah. he was my, he, we dated, uh, really early on. Uh, I actually like, he took me for a rock star at that dance. I like the convention, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is so funny to think back though. Uh, but my sponsor at the time was like one of those, that's like fucking no relationships oh, for a right. year. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I ended up, you know, backtrack cause I ended up with 60 days clean and then I went to rehab in Vancouver Okay, cause it took that long to get in. So basically you, you put your, your, yeah. you got on the wait list yeah. and then yes. got some serious yes. time. Okay. And my sponsor wow. at the time, like, I think, you know, I'm the exception to the norm nowadays where people just drop into treatment center and then find recovery. It's, I think it's mm -hmm. less common nowadays for people to find 12 step and right. commit to 12 step and get clean and stay clean in 12 step right. without having some sort of, you know, intervention treatment. first. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I was backwards and when the time came to go to treatment, she was like, do you still want to go? And I was like, well, fuck, I got nothing else on the go. Right. <laughs> so yeah. might as well. Good for you. Why yeah. Not? Right. Uh, and it was good. Right. Cause there was a, like they do all of the, you know, I was in Vancouver. I had to stay there. It was just sort of like another like solid nail in my like 
persona that like, okay, I'm going to be that person who has now gone to fucking rehab, right. you know, you're like, putting work in. Yeah. yeah and like, gonna I'm going to put gonna, that work in. You're going to put your this, life aside to do you this. You know? Yeah. And like, they ask you questions and I still remember even with, you know, a few months clean because they are like, you know, like name like three things you like about yourself and I couldn't fucking do it. Right. You know, like rehab yeah. is hard and feeling feelings yeah. in a group where you're safe is important, you know? And like, so I went and learned more about myself, you know, and explored Vancouver and then came back and, you know, still had the same group of friends. And then I think it was about, you know, growing and learning as an adult in recovery, how mm. to like navigate life, you know, right. how to be vulnerable, how to talk about my feelings, which I guess maybe like growing up wasn't, and I don't know that it is a, as big of a thing, like in most family units where it's mm. like, you know, like, how are you feeling? Like, how are you right. actually feeling? You right. know, like, let, let's talk about fear. Let's talk about all of those things. So being in recovery, it's been nice. And now it's just second nature. Right. To be. You got to that point where you can just. Vulnerable. Right. right? Yeah. And like some of the best things that have happened in recovery were like sponsoring young women, you know, because it like coming out the other side of hating myself for so long and actually really liking myself and starting to like explore things I liked to do. There was a period mm -hmm. in my recovery where I was like, okay, let's take a ballet class. <laughs> you right. know, like, yeah, I yeah. <laughs> Start to see what's out I there. Like? Right. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. do I like? Totally. You know, and I made a new group of friends and a lot of them were like normal people who can drink that I'm like, wow, this is what fucking normal people are like. This is so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was so like right. new right. and just exploring. Yeah. And then, you know, so I went from, doing hair to now I've worked at a bank almost as long as I have fucking been clean okay. and I'm a mortgage advisor. Right. And like, you know, being in my friend's weddings, like my sponsees and stuff. So like we were all in one of the same home groups for a very long time. And that's like where most of my formative friends have come from. Right. And like watching a young woman go from like, the state that I was in, like basically fucking hating themselves right. to realizing just how unstoppable they are is right. so amazing. Seeing that momentum it's build so and that confidence. It's so come amazing. Back like the, sponsoring yeah. women is so fucking amazing. And you know what? Not even necessarily me sponsoring them, but being active in recovery and seeing people right. come being in. Being witness to it. Oh, right. It's yeah. so amazing. Cause right. usually addicts are like are super tenacious individuals. It takes a lot right. to stay that fucked up and that high and yeah. that's shitty for that long. Right. Right. Like, so when you transfer that grit into right. recovery and apply yourself to fucking anything, mm -hmm. like it's, it's amazing to watch. So like I've had, you know, some of my sponsees and friends go on to like get PhDs, you know, like right. run businesses. Most of us now are fucking old with kids, right. yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, but like get married, Doing travel the world. Right. I went to Vegas. I went to all inclusives, all clean. I never went and did any of that shit. Right. Loaded. We right. would talk about it all the time. Right. I could you never scratch about together it. Yeah, the totally. money to go to fucking Mexico. So right. the first time right. I went to Mexico was with three of my best friends in recovery. Right. And it was hilarious. Yeah. Right. And so now I am. Um, got more out of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so now I'm living life as an addict in long-term recovery. And, you know, I would say for the first like 10 years, for sure, my husband and I, we're very active in recovery. And I would say even today we are still very active in recovery. It just looks different mm -hmm. uh, because now that we're married and it was mostly the kids, kids take up a lot of fucking time. They do. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And life is just so different now, right? Like the, the thought of using isn't something that I would even consider really, you know, right. uh, every now and then, you know, 
as an addict, your brain is like, oh, fuck, it'd be nice. Especially as a parent. Right. <laughs> Especially yeah. during COVID. you have COVID, those hard moments. I'd be and, like, yeah. fuck, it'd be nice to smoke a joint right now and just right. numb out. Right. So I do, like, I think any addict in long-term recovery misses that aspect of using. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. But you, I've just found, you know, healthier ways to cope now. And a right. lot of that was, like, physical fitness, you yeah. know. And then also just living life on life's terms. So right. now, yeah, I'm a parent. And I'm a parent to two children. And I really hope that I don't have to deal with any of the things that my parents or my husband's parents had to. Right. But the odds are stacked against us if you look at like the genetic component of addiction. Sure. Right. Um, but the good thing is, is that like not, none of our children will ever know us loaded. Right. Which is cool. Do you talk to your kids about? Not yet. Right. Yeah. No, you know, when we had the kids, cause there are like a lot of people who aren't, as lucky or like single mothers who have to clean up in NA and I've, I've mm. seen their kids. I've seen their kids grow up right, <laughs> in right. the rooms. Right. Uh, but I'm not at that age ready to, to make that commitment yet. Right. Um, you got some time. Yeah. Yes. Right. They know that we don't drink though. Right. Yeah. It's just part of, right. Right. Like it's just who we are. It'll be interesting to see when they become of age to drink legally. Right. And mm. I've, and like, we talk about these kind of things as far as like, what the fuck's the plan here? Yeah. <laughs> What's the plan right. here? Yeah. You know? Uh, right. And I think I have a coworker cause often I would meet people and people get to know me, especially in the bank. And they're like, you don't fucking drink. And I'm like, no, I don't drink because <laughs> right. I'm not exactly normal. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Which was one of the best things that happened about recovery right. is that like, basically I became the person that I was loaded, like as far as like outgoing right. and confident and like yeah. all the things that I used you to You liked use. about yourself yes. when you're right. And now right. I just do it normally do on it. the day to day. Right. And I'm also super strange at times. So but especially, you're okay with it. Exactly. Yeah, totally. So working in a bank, people are like, um, and then I'm like, yeah, I, I did have a serious problem with drugs and I am very strange. Yes, I agree. <laughs> but I meet <laughs> I people. Yeah. yeah. I meet totally. people who are often like you, like I'm like, you never smoked weed. You know, like as a right. drug addict, like how the fuck did you like grow up? Like, what did your parents right. tell you? So I ask all the time, you know, and, and, uh, one of the, my coworkers, uh, her mom outlined the fact that, uh, like she had an allergy in the aspect that like how I plan on telling the kids is that like, you know what, the odds are stacked against you right? if and when you pick up an explicit substance because your dad and I both Right. Have this fucking problem. And so like the odds are that if you decide to pick this up, it's going to be a problem for you. Be, yeah. So I think just knowing that in advance. Right. Pff, that's my hope anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And having those real conversations yes. when they come. Yeah. yeah. Come and then be. starting a rehab fund. I don't know. Fuck. Right. <laughs> Contingency. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I don't totally. know. But yeah. So now uh, my husband and I live a super normal life. Uh, it's like crazy to think about the sleep I once sacrificed. Right. right. <laughs> that I now, so like, I often joke, I'm like, oh, you know what's, like, sleeping is my new drug. Right, sure. Oh, yeah. Like, I just live to get in bed and sleep, <laughs> which sounds so fucking weird. No, yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, we live, we Making got a house. We lost time. <laughs> we have a house, we have careers, we have children, we have investments, we have, like, normal lives, we take vacations. I see my parents on the regular they moved here okay i joke because i'm the favorite child right um but it was also like it was cool because yeah. i lived with my parents and grew up and like it felt like i knew nothing about them and being in recovery and getting to know them i'm like fuck these are cool people right you know and, like same right. with my husband's parents like we spend yeah. a lot of time 
yeah. with family, right? Right. Uh, so all of those years that I lost, you know, in self-centered addiction uh, have come, I guess, back. And now I'm living the life that I wanted to live. Right. And it's all thanks to, like, choosing to be in recovery on I mean, a day-to-day -day basis. Putting in the time and yeah. the effort it took. And it yeah. looks different nowadays, but I think, like, from working so many sets of steps, right? It's right. just like second nature from sitting in so many meetings, hearing the yep. messaging over and over and over again. Right. Uh, people joke about like it's brainwashing, but uh, but it is sort of like in a good right. way. In a good, right, yeah. Right, yeah. like it's teaching me new it's that neuroplasticity, skills. right? Exactly. You've kind of gotten to the point where, yeah, yeah you've so learned like new coping even, mechanisms. Even in yeah, a work right. environment, I'm able to be like, hey, let's check myself here. What's my fucking role in this? Or yes. even in my marriage when I'm like, acting out in a way that or you know there's something mm -hmm. comes up same with parenting it's it's like i can recognize my part and correct my part right? Right, right which is really what matters so all of these skills i feel like should be taught in school on the regular right absolutely why well, we say that about treatment i mean i think everybody could use treatment mm -hmm. right where you have to go and learn about yourself and take time out of life essentially to look inward and and find yeah. out who you are and what makes you tick and yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's really cool in, in your story where how you did get that recovery time under your belt and you yeah. kind of built up that support system. Yeah. You know, a lot of times we see people go off to treatment and then they come back and they're just starting from scratch trying to build that support network yeah and that's a really dangerous gap and a lot of times we see a lot of relapse in that yeah. time yeah it's pretty cool that you built up that support network yeah. so you had the support when you got back yeah you know i so think I it's think one of the most important things right is like having and this is what i tell people because like you know <laughs> being in recovery for 15 years a lot of my friends or people that I grew up with fucking ended up as addicts too. Right. <laughs> like, shocking. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> love, oh, you also have a problem, you know? Right. Uh, right. And they'd come to me, you know, and ask and then like you experiment with recovery and some people stayed clean some people don't and like just different aspects of living life in recovery. And like the one thing that I've found like pivotal to living a life of recovery like for the long term is having at least one person that I can tell all my bullshit to. Right. And in the yeah. beginning it was my sponsor. And then you like, you know, cultivate these friendships right. where I can call someone up and say like, this is the fucking insane shit that's going on in my head. And right. especially when you're talking to another addict, they're like, holy fuck, I totally get that. Right. And right. sometimes that's all you need yeah. is to say like, Hey, this is what's going on. Right. And just right. the, the verbal vomiting yeah. of it. And that someone can listen to that and provide feedback without judgment as well. Oh, totally. And, like, and with that understanding oh, of totally. where you're coming from. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think that's probably what's been like the thing that has kept me clean is my ability to be like ridiculously honest at all times. Right. About what's going on. Yeah. Maybe yeah, to a fault, fault at times. <laughs> right, right. No, but I, I think that's a piece that a lot of people, yeah. you know, struggle a lot with is yeah. that true vulnerability kind of at all times. And it's, it's, I think, always hardest to be vulnerable when you're at your worst. And that's usually when you need to be the most well, vulnerable and, you know and honest, what? And right? Especially with like the mental health crisis that I find in men, you know, like because I've, we've lost some friends. Yeah. And uh, it's like I, I talk with people who are struggling or have struggled. And especially like, cause in AA, in the book or whatever, it's like the, the people that are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. Mm -hmm. And that line didn't make sense for a long time, but it fully makes sense now. Yeah. Uh, because like, if you can't be fucking honest with yourself in right. this shit, then you're fucked. Yeah. You know, if you like, can sell yourself a line. This is a really, this is going to well, be a, a real Well, and that's the thing, right? Like, it's like, yeah. I, I've seen people struggle in recovery who are 
unwilling to be like, you know what? I suck at living life. I'm fucking terrified. I feel like I have this like, you know, role or person to become and portray mm-hmm. this image. And, you know, like I suck at money. I suck at finances. I suck at fucking living day-to-day life. I don't know how to keep my fucking house clean. You know, yeah. it's like all that kind of shit. Nobody fucking cares. Right. And half the people in the rooms, they're like, yeah, me too. Right. You know, but you like you're, you're in good people's company. inability yeah. to say that out yes. loud right. is what kills people. Right. Unfortunately. Yeah. That pride that's attached. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's like, you know, it's like a double-edged sword. I'm like, fuck, just tell somebody. Tell right. somebody. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that, like, Talk you about suck. it. Get that. I'm scared. Get out you of know? your head. Yeah. Take, take its power totally. away. Yeah. And so that happens now, like, in my day-to-day life. Like, often, you know, in my career, things I'll encounter where I feel like I hate I hate feeling stupid. I hate feeling vulnerable. I hate saying I'm wrong. Those are just things I've learned of myself, right? But every time I do something like that, like admit to someone like, hey, can you help me with this? Or hey, you know, I'm struggling with this. Mm -hmm. This is how I'm feeling. Like the other end of it is Mm -hmm. always like where the lesson is and where the strength comes. That's where the growth happens. Totally. So. So. I mean, I, I, this, is, this has been fantastic. I, I got a couple, couple more questions just before Wish we wrap up. So, I, you know, you know, you're saying, you know, you're supporting, you know, young women coming in and, and, you know, obviously when you have experienced success in recovery, people do come to you, right? You're this like, oh man, you know, yeah. you're that, that uh, idea of, okay, this, this is achievable. What do you say to people that are struggling and are at that early phase or at that, that point that you once was at? Like, what, what do you, what's the message that you get across? To it's funny because like, I still picture myself as a like cool young person. <laughs> <laughs> so we're cool and young making. <laughs> so initially, cause I, I was working with someone at one point that was 16 right? and I was like, okay. fuck me. I don't know how to fucking tell you to stay clean in high school. It beats the right. shit out of me. Cause I didn't right. do it. You didn't. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I've seen people get clean at that age. Right. And yeah. like rightfully so. Uh, and you know what? I don't, I think it's just about being like open and honest about how much better things got for me. Right. And right. like how awkward and fucking gross and ridiculously lost I was. Right. Right. Like I'm always right. uh, very much an open book to anybody who wants to talk, sure. you know, and I'm also pretty straightforward about like, it's not, like this wasn't an easy fucking painless road right. that I walked, it's you know, because I, yeah. I would get, fr- I would get calls, especially early in recovery. You know, when I got two, three, four years clean from people yeah. in Calgary and they're like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, and I can tell they're looking for me to be like, well, I jump around fucking three times on Tuesdays, right. you know, like yeah. it's not, yeah. it's right. not that easy. I, I did a lot of bullshit, painful digging. Right. Uh, but I think it's a lot of like, yeah, just the fact that, uh, when I get the opportunity to meet someone and be like, yeah, I'm an addict in long-term recovery and they get to know me on a personal level. Right. Then it sort of is like self-explanatory. Right. As far yeah. as like, I feel like it's believable <laughs> that I was sure. a drug addict, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not doubting me? You're not doubting me? Believable that I might've had some fucking problems. Uh, and also I think I, it's also believable the amount that I'm able to enjoy life now without using right so i think that's sort of like the the selling feature right and that was what was concerning for me is like what does life look like right without using yeah can i have fun can i right 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 am i gonna be can i enjoy myself can i yeah can i be comfortable in my own skin all that stuff totally that seems so foreign yeah like is life gonna stop right 
and I'm right. going to do nothing. No. Right. So finding that kind of totally the, the joy, joy outside of yeah. of the substance, essentially. Definitely. And, Which right. I, I honestly, I had no concept, <laughs> no right. concept of what regular people did. <laughs> right. Yeah. Fair enough. And now I'm a very regular person. Right. Which is, you know, it's crazy often. Like just looking back, I'm like, I, like I said, I was in Salt Spring on the weekend. <laughs> right. And, yeah. And there was a, uh, I would call it a day rave. And it was great because I could, like, I was dancing right. uh, during the day. My kids were there. And I was like, oh, I'm, like, able to get this. Because I'm still, like, the right. same person, you know? You're able to tap into <laughs> yeah. that and I was side like, fucking, without substance. This is great. Right. And yeah. this is also an ideal time of the day right. for me to right. be doing this. Still go to bed at a reasonable <laughs> hour. And, <laughs> uh, right. and, like, looking around, too. It's like, wow, there are some real people here that right. could probably use this service. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. So, I mean, and being a, being a mom now and, and, you know, looking at the landscape and obviously with substance use being such a, you know, and mental health being such a huge issue and it seems to have blown up, you know, since, uh, since COVID, you know, the need is, is greater than ever. Is there anything that you see that, you know, that, that you think that we, you know, as a society could do better or that you hope for, for your kids as far as interventions or anything like that? Oh, it's fucking terrifying. Uh, Mm -hmm. I watched Euphoria. Did you watch that show? Mm-mm. Oh my god, it's such a good show. Uh, it's terrifying though. Uh, it's basically like teenagers nowadays. So like, imagine my life of drug addiction times a bazillion. Add in social media, like right. my god, I can't imagine trying to be a young woman navigating that period right now. Right. And like, so in recovery, I often make lists of like short-term and long-term goals. And always on one of my long-term goal lists is to have some sort of non-for-profit where. I'm able to go into schools or wherever uh, and speak to like that 11 to 16 year old female right. group yeah. uh, about the things that no one tells you about as far right. as like esteem building. Right. And right. like the, that kind of stuff. And I think that's definitely a huge gap in right. what's going on with kids nowadays. Right. Like, it, like yeah. how to navigate feelings, how to be vulnerable Right. How to how to love yourself. Uh, right. Right. How right. to like what becoming an adult looks like. You know, mm-hmm. it's fucking. They're not teaching any of this shit in school. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's definitely one of the biggest things, right? And right. like the the power of working a a set of steps, and like that could be done for anybody outside right. of addiction. You know, I have a girlfriend who is just one of those keeners that was. I was open about recovery and she was like working through my step book as like a non-addict. Right. Like, yeah. Fucking regular people. Look at you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> go yeah. Ahead, take it. <laughs> so, so like more self-exploration totally. and earlier totally. age is it, totally. you know, that's really cool because I think, you know, like the, the early, you know, I, I think a lot of times, or the best intentions, yeah. you know, the system or the government gets it wrong, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. uh, you know, and so early intervention, there's a lot of talk and there's a lot of money, you know, but you know, back in the day, like the dare program was the stupidest, you know, yeah. it didn't resonate with anybody in the scare tactics. And I don't know if they've found a solution, but I think that's actually a really great idea is digging more into the social component of it. I think that's and, why I continue right, you know, to and do that, you know, that connectivity and all that stuff with, with, with the kids. Yeah, yeah. So I just did, like I, I spoke at Spectrum High School and I guess, you know what, they're one of the things that I thought was super well run because they have a program. And they gear it towards, I guess, like the potheads. Um, and they have all kinds of different groups. So there's people from NA. There was people like, there was a woman there 
teaching you how to like maintain a bong safely. Okay. All kinds of different like recovery related things. And if you attend this thing, they feed you. And they also let you miss like three of your classes. Okay. So. So it's incentivized. Right. Yeah. Totally. And so it was kind of like a plethora of like, this is all of the drug addiction world. Right. And this is sort of like all of the resources, right? Which Mm -hmm. I think was also missing at that age was like, these are the resources available to you. I just spoke in a middle school too. And I'm like fucking talking to like a. 10 year old right, <laughs> I'm right. like oh my god like yeah. but there was a lot of kids that are in the later end that I'm like I could tell are probably in situations I'm like and I just asked him like do you do you know anybody in your life that has ever experienced addiction or alcoholism mm-hmm. and the amount of yeses right right and so it was about like information I think because mm-hmm. I didn't stumble across like you know you see AA on TV right but like actually understanding like what is available Right. And to who it's available and when it's available, right? Yeah. What your options are, because totally, a lot of times you don't think you have totally, any options. Totally. Yeah. You know, and like, and, and just how easy, and that's all, like, let's be real. We all know how much lacking there is for youth right. in recovery. Yeah. Like, what's the treatment center beds right now for youth? Is it even possible? It's just Vancouver, isn't it? Yeah, there's none on the island. Yeah. That's for right. sure. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, Which a, is a it's, a, it's an ask. Yeah. Right. And so, like, what are you doing? Like, if I am a parent to a 15-year-old that started using, which is very, very common, and is experiencing addiction, what the fuck do you do? (laughs) Where do you go? Yeah. So that's scary, especially if you don't have the money to send to a private center. You know, it's just like a recipe for disaster. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't navigate those waters, but I, I no, I really like that, and I think I'm glad that you brought it up the mm-hmm. the early intervention, but on a on a more real level and something that everyone can access, totally. right? You know, it doesn't have to, yeah, just be the you know the kids that are already kind of going down that path yeah. for everybody, you totally. know, like especially with yeah, like social media and the the tech component that we have with schools and the lack of interaction a lot of times with kids is, yeah, I think that's that social component is yeah. kind of a scary missing piece, oh, right? Definitely. So. Yeah, very cool. Yes. Well, listen, I'm I'm really happy. This is this has been a really great way to end. You talk? you did not. Oh, I talked. Yeah, no, this was perfect. Jesus. Perfect amount of time. <laughs> uh, you know, you 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 handled the pressure of this oh, being you. our season finale. So <laughs> thank, you. thank you. I'm really really happy for you coming on. And I know that you know sharing your story. It, it's uh you know I I think that I really admire that you can speak so openly about it. But it's still you know. Uh, you know, uh, a hard, a hard thing at times to to chat about. So I really appreciate you. You know, uh, you know on. what? It reminds me that I made the right choice. <laughs> right? Yeah. Fair enough. Fair and enough. that's why I've always enjoyed doing this aspect of things because it always reminds me. Right. You know, because as an addict, your brain can be like, eh, and then I'm like, no. <laughs> right. Right. This is this Remember? is the, this is where I needed to be. <laughs> totally. Totally. Anyways, re- uh, like I said, I really appreciate you, you coming on, me. and thanks so much. Cool. Okay. Thank you. Great. <laughs> well, there you have it. Thank you so much to Megan for coming onto the program and having the courage to share your story. Uh, There are so many folks who do not feel comfortable doing so. I completely respect that, but I also really admire individuals who can speak freely about such challenging aspects in their life. I can't tell you how powerful that is. I just hear that over and over again, what an impact that makes uh, hearing these stories. So thank you, Megan. And with that, we wrap up season one of Comfortably Unnumbed, the official podcast of the Umbrella Society. Thank you so, so much to everybody who has taken the time to open their hearts and minds and to listen to these podcasts. 
It has been my absolute pleasure to guide my guests through this process, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate everybody who has made this podcast something special. So we will be taking the summer off, but you can expect us to come back strong in the fall with season two. Um, until then, please share this uh, first season of podcast uh, with everybody and anybody. Spread the word. I think these are great stories to uh, get out there. Um, I hope that everyone has a safe, fun, and remarkable summer. We will see you back here in a couple of months and stay tuned when we will be returning. So from Victoria, BC, Canada, for the Umbrella Society, I am Blake Anderson. <laughs>